0: This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 815 with Crystal DeSantis. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 815. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms Crystal DeSantis is a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified clinical trauma professional with specializations in sex therapy, couples, and men's mental health issues. She is the creator of Strong Relationship Therapy Model of Trauma-Informed Attachment-Based Couples Therapy, and she's joining us on the SMA today to talk about boys' mental health, the importance of healthy masculinity, and the impact of seeing healthy relationships on children's mental, emotional, and relational well-being. This was a super, super powerful conversation, a really critical conversation around teen boys and mental health. So please listen in and share with all the boy moms in your life or boy parents in your life, because this is a really, really significant one. So listen in to hear Crystal share how the socialization of masculinity impacts boys' mental health. How our current tropes of masculinity are harmful to young boys. The dangerous social construct that boys are quote-unquote easier to parent than girls. Positive coping mechanisms for teen boys to reduce stress and build resilience. The significance of validating your child as a human with inherent worth, not worth that they have to earn through performance academically, athletically, or otherwise. What to do in those moments where your son is insisting that they are a failure. Perhaps you've been there. The four positions of conversation that can positively impact parent-child conversation. Some therapist tips on how to reduce the stigma around mental health and help teenage boys feel more comfortable talking about their struggles and seeking help why we're seeing staggering rates of suicide in teen boys and how to find healthy models of masculinity we dug into so much in this conversation we covered so much i took so many notes and i it was so hard for me to narrow it down like that was a long introduction and that was me narrowing it down (laughs) so i know you're going to get a lot out of this conversation please share it widely this is a really really important conversation And I do want to give a trigger warning, a content warning that we do talk about suicide in here. And so if that's just not the right thing for you to be digging into today, please, you know, skip this episode, save it for another day, skip it altogether, whatever is right for you on this day and in this season of life. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Crystal DeSantis to the Shameless Mom Academy. Crystal, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here
1: today. Thank you so much for having me.
0: This is gonna be a great conversation. I mentioned in our pre-interview that this is, we're gonna be talking about boys and mental health and teens and mental health. And interestingly, I was sharing that we are just coming out of a baseball, an all-star baseball season for my 10 year old. And it's amazing (laughs) how challenging, like we're seeing stuff with mental health with really, really young boys in these high pressure situations. And I don't think I would have believed that if you told me when my child was like two or three that like, this is by age 10, we're already really like in this. So we have a lot to talk about.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I'm very excited.
0: So let's go ahead and start with the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio. And what are you most excited about right now?
1: Right now, I am excited about, I am actually working on a new app that's going to be helping people get some relational skills under their belt. So, I'm really excited about that. Um, and then personally, I have a summer camping trip coming up, so that's going to be fun.
0: Looking for So by the time this airs it'll be post summer, but that feeling of like early summer and having things to look forward to is my favorite. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. And getting Something. out of the heat of Texas. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes,
0: yes, yes. We're up here. I was joking yesterday I did a training online for people in Phoenix, Arizona and I'm in Seattle. And I was complaining because so I was like, oh, it's like 74 and it's really hot. The uh-uh. <laughs> are <Arizona, laughs> like, yeah, you're not allowed to complain. All. Right? It's 105. <laughs> <gasps> okay. No, I will not complain about my like 78 today. <laughs> so yeah. I want to just dig right in. Let's talk mm-hmm. about the socialization of our boys. And can you discuss how the socialization of masculinity impacts
1: our boys' mental health? Yeah. And this is something that I'm really passionate about because, you know, for a long time, there has been a model of masculinity that has been based on kind of a, almost a caricature of what it means to be a man in some ways. And a lot of young boys are looking at, you know, what it means to be a man. And what they're seeing is, you know, men who are very stoic, men who do not speak about mental health issues, men who are independent and tough and physically strong. And all of these kind of tropes of masculinity don't really do honor to what it means to be a full, healthy, masculine, man, right? It kind of over focuses on some of these performative aspects of manhood. And so that the socialization of boys to really over focus on that leads to a lot of mental health issues for young boys, especially when they can't live up to those expectations, or they're having a lot of trouble living up to those expectations.
0: Oh, that makes so much sense. And when you talk about the current tropes of masculinity, Mm -hmm. I immediately have like certain things come to mind around like Mm what my child and what our boys, like who they're looking up to, how those people present, how parents talk about those people and uphold certain people. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's for positive attributes, but there's maybe pieces that we're missing or kind of, um, you know, subscribing to without even fully realizing what we're subscribing to.
1: Absolutely. And that's something that I think I'm, I'm really excited about. The broader conversation about masculinity is, you know, masculinity in and of itself is not toxic, but right. being able to then hold up. Well, what are the positive attributes of masculinity? What is a healthy example of masculinity that doesn't just kind of over rely on these? kind of superficial factors like being rich or being, Mm -hmm. you know, physically strong or getting a lot of girls, you know, those are just very superficial things that don't translate into being a grounded, healthy, whole person.
0: Yeah. And you, those are really great attributes that you just gave that people might be like, Oh yeah, like a little light bulbs going off in their head. Are there any other tropes that you want to mention? Cause I think those are actually three really good ones around money, success, success, attracting a mate. And I already forgot the third one.
1: Well, so I'm going to make it easier. Okay, go, yes, please. About it as Well, it's based on a book by David Gilmore, who is an anthropologist. And he talks about masculinity as embodied in three Ps, being a protector, being a provider and being a procreator. Right. And so from a young age, boys are kind of encouraged into these different roles. Right. So you're able to physically protect your family. You got to be strong. You got to be tough. Um, You can't show any kind of weakness. That includes showing no emotion. You got to be a good provider. You know, what kind of job are you looking for? You know, how can you perform, perform, perform in that way? And then procreation, which again, you know, as a young boy, it maybe kind of translates into, you know, are you a player? All right. Are you the guy that all the girls are after? And again, you know, it's very healthy for a man to inhabit his protector and to be a provider for his family. And to, of course, you know, if he wants to be a father, procreation, pleasure in a healthy adult relationship is very appropriate. But kind of the diluting down of these really masculine traits into these one note tropes is where kind of the masculinity conversation has gone off the rails a little bit.
0: Absolutely. That makes so much sense. When I was pregnant with my son, I didn't know if I was having a boy or girl and I kept telling people like, I'm good either way, pros and cons to both. But what I always thought was if I have a girl, it'll be great for the first 12 years. And then it's going to be really hard. All these girl things and the manipulation. And I'm like thinking of like how I was like manipulative and sassy and like all stuff. And then I thought if I have a boy I don't know how I'm gonna to relate to a boy when they're little. Like it might be wild and like really adventurous and lots of um uh adventure seeking that like I'm not is not my comfort zone, but then it'll be really easy once they're like, you know, 10 to 18, it'll just be mellow. And that is so not true now mm-hmm. that I'm here. Mm-hmm. But this myth that it's that boys are easier than girls or easier to parent is a dangerous social construct when you are I know that you talk about in your work. Can you dig into that a bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's really interesting because even when you were saying this, it's like, you know, we honor little boys personhoods, right? So like, oh, little boys, are just more adventurous. They're just more active when they're little. And then at some point, like during puberty, we kind of expect them to kind of toe the line into these three Ps of, you know, of course, you're going to get a good job. Of course, you're going to try to get, you know, a partner. um, And of course, you're going to, you know, follow some Prescribed script for yourself. Whereas, again, with young girls and with women, it's kind of been the messaging that the world is your oyster. We don't know what you're going to do with your life. You could do anything. And I really see that that messaging hasn't quite landed yet for boys. That, you know, on some level, it's like, oh, you know, privilege. You can do anything. But really, there is limitations on what boys can do. And so I think that's also where the, you know, oh, little girls are easy because, you know. They haven't quite come into their personhood yet when they're little. They're very accommodating. Maybe they're a little bit easier to parent in that way. And then suddenly they become people at puberty. and then that's when they're hard, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas, again, developmentally, puberty is when everybody is discovering their personhood. And so mm-hmm. again, just you know, it's not a it's it's not that boys don't go through that. It's that sometimes maybe, there's not as much attention paid to when boys are inhabiting their personhood or discovering who they are. Right. Um, whereas girls get a lot of encouragement in that. Yeah. From yeah. The messages. Mm-hmm.
0: So interesting. I'm thinking of some really specific examples. And, you know, to your point, if we're if the boys are towing the correct line, I'm saying in air quotes, but like they're doing the things so like they're they're playing the sports and they're, doing the things and they're being seen in a certain way, like then that's the model for them. And your point around those limitations is is so true. I'm thinking of a couple of my son's friends who instead of sports have really exhibited interest and talent in the arts and that it's been tricky for their parents to like find the activities to cultivate these things. And it's like, it's really, a lot of it is very peripheral Mm -hmm. and not what's centered in the school environment, in the community environment, in the, you know, in the social environment. And so I, that makes so much sense that you, what you say around those limitations.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you have a daughter, you know, if she's like, I want to do ballet one year and then next year she's like, actually, I want to join the soccer team. I want to do softball. I want to, you know, maybe do gymnastics. She could, you know, there's avenues for that. And then, right. you know, if your son is like, well, I want to play baseball this season and next season, maybe I'll try ballet or cheerleading. It's like, Ooh, it doesn't quite have the same support behind it. Right. You know. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I'm in this interesting position with my son being 10 and seeing a lot of his friends and him carry stress in a much more intense way than I would have expected at age 10. Mm-hmm. And it's related to extracurricular activities. It's related. Some of it's related to stuff at school. And I didn't think that we would be in this position of like having to have like mental health coping mechanisms at age 10. I was like, Oh, that's like a, like 16 year old thing, not a 10 year old thing. Can you talk about some positive coping mechanisms? And this can be for like, you know, a kind of a age, a range of ages, but wherever you think that we should be starting this, which I'm sure is at a pretty young age. And then what that looks like over growth
1: and development. Mm -hmm. So Really, I think, uh, you know, speaking to the parents here, right? The most important thing is validating your child's worth as a human being
2: mm. and
1: not as an object of production or performance, yeah. right? And that is where, and right now also kids are just very overscheduled, right? There's a lot of pressure, though, you know, raising a child has become a lot more competitive in a lot of ways. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? And so the kids are feeling all of that stress. And so that's something to the parents of, you know, be mindful of how much your self-worth and your stress is being projected onto your child's performance, because that right away is going to relieve a big burden on them of being able to say, like, hold on, am I kind of judging my worth or my skills as a parent based on my child's performance? And if so, what kind of responsibility is that to put on a child? Right. yeah. So being mindful as as a parent, and then, you know, again, in interacting with kids, really separating out, validating the personhood, the behavior can always be up for discussion. We can always, you know, critique or criticize behavior, but your inherent worth as a human being is never in question. That's not, um, and that, again, that really fosters that sense of emotional safety in a family where you know, the relationship that you have with your children, it has to be connection-based, right? And so really, again, making it safe for them to talk about their emotions. If they're having anxiety, are you a safe person for them to talk to? And also, again, then this is where the nuance is, right? Because for example, physical activity has been shown to have a really positive effect on mental health, but not if it's performance-based, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so certain things like that
0: can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS. S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S. AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This is such funny timing. I was actually thinking about this exact thing while I was running this morning again, coming out of this like really intense baseball season with this group of 10 year old boys. And I was thinking about how many of them connect worth to performance on any given game. So like in any one situation, it's like all the value of that one situation is based on the success or not being successful in that one, you know, two hour block. And I was thinking how, like, how do you talk to a child who doesn't have the emotional maturity to necessarily like own their worth, their inherent worth. And Mm -hmm. I was thinking really specifically about a conversation that I wanted to have with my son around like pride in who you are versus what you do. And then I was thinking, would he even get that? Would he just be like, yeah, mom, I know. (laughs) It would probably be like an eye roll situation. Um, (laughs) But you know, like pride in who you are and how you treat people and how -hmm. you're so magnetic and people love spending time with you versus like, did you make that run? (laughs)
1: Absolutely. And I think that's, again, where, you know, parents play such a protective role in their child's mental health by continuing to validate the character of the child. Right. Your character is what we're working on building. Right. We don't know who you're going to be when you grow up. That's you know, that's what we're discovering. But part of the job as a parent is to say, wait, who do you want to be? right? And really helping them develop their character based on core values, not based on external things like, well, I think I'm a baseball player. And you're like, okay, Mm -hmm. what else? Like, who are you? Not what do you do? And separating that out is going to be super important in the long run.
0: I also imagine that these are conversations and dialogues that should be happening, like not in the heated moment when the child has just decided that they're a total failure at everything, Mm -hmm. but In like the calm moments where you can actually process with them. And I know that in those heated moments, I want to be like, no, no, no. Like you're such a good person and blah, blah, blah. But like they can't hear anything in those moments. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And that's also where normalizing. I mean, if we're speaking, especially Mm. with boys, um, seeing that modeled in their dad as well. Mm. Right. Or in their male figure in their home, whoever their male mentors are, that they can have that conversation also validated by them. Because this is also something that is really important for young boys is, you know, at a certain age, and again, every every child, every parent is different, but at, especially around puberty, children start looking off into their same gender parent as what are the rules of being a woman? What are the rules of being a man? And so having the father, it, being able to validate that, like, Hey, you know, you're not a failure because you failed this game. Like, and having, again, like you said, ongoing conversations throughout the home, that that's not what we value in this family. We don't see each other as objects of production, whether that's mom and dad relationship with each other. We value each other as people.
0: Right. Do you have any specific skills or tips, um, for those moments when things are really intense and really hard and you feel like you can't talk your child off the ledge when they're, you know, spiraling because they are connecting their identity to something that is, Mm -hmm. you know, around production and performance versus Mm -hmm. they are as a human.
1: Yeah. Honestly, in a lot of those times being just with, being with them again, letting them, you know, sometimes. We all do, right? We have to have those moments where we're just like, everything is terrible and the world is terrible and I give up on life and everything is awful. Um, and, And allowing that to be held. Yeah. Right. And again, not rushing to fix it right away before really sitting with and understanding what they're feeling. And I think that's where maybe, again, the parents' anxiety often can come in to try to fix it, make it better. Like, I don't like to see you cry. Let's make it better. But really, especially for teenagers, having the resilience as a parent to hold the space of like, hey, it doesn't scare me. Keep talking. Right? I'm yeah. here to listen.
0: Yeah.
1: Let's, let's let it out. Like, I'm, I'm so sorry you're feeling this way. Tell me more. That is something I've been really
0: trying to practice. And it is so like, I want to be the fixer. Uh I want to be like, here's the three steps we can take to make it better.
1: (laughs) Totally. Totally. Yeah. I actually talk about this, that there are four positions of conversation. I use this a lot in my work with couples. We start with position one, which is listening. Right. So that's inviting a monologue from the other person, joining, which is finding points of connection. Like, yeah, I felt like that too, right? I'm joining with you in your worldview. And then next one is fixing, right? But often we are not open to hearing fixing from anybody, from our partner, from our parent, unless we feel like we've been heard, we've been listened to, and the other person really understands things from our perspective, we've been joined with. And then the last two positions are fixing and then debating, right? But mm. so often, and especially I see this a lot with couples, right? One person is like, oh, I've had a really rough day. And the other person is like, well, I mean, wasn't that bad? I mean, you didn't have that much on your schedule. And you're like, are you serious right now? <laughs> especially in parenting, you're like, no, my day was worse. Like, it's a competition. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And that, does, that doesn't feel good to anybody, right? And so, right. again, like the silver lining with kids, like, hey, well, you did better than so-and-so really doesn't land. so Just starting with that listening. I'm here for you, tell me more. I wanna hear about it. Joining, like I totally get it. Like I would feel that same way if I was in that position. I see where you're coming from. um, Before offering any fixing, Mm -hmm. is there anything I can do? What would help you feel better in this moment? Would it help you to know that I love you unconditionally, you know? Yeah. And all of that, but yeah.
0: I cannot remember where I heard it, but I wanted to go back to something that you said because it's something that I had just heard recently and I'm like appreciating hearing it again about when your child is having big feelings to just be there versus like needing to talk with them over them, trying to fix it, all those kinds of things. And also letting them know that their big feelings aren't too much for you. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's so easy to give them space to a point and then be like, and now I'm done and I need space and this is too much and we need to move on and like totally raising my hand, been there and said all of that. And instead to shift that to, I'm not scared of your feelings. Your feelings are never Mm -hmm. too much for me. Even if I have to take a break, I can always, I will always come back like those, that language Mm -hmm. in relationship building is Mm -hmm. so different. And I, it was such an aha when I heard that I was like, oh my gosh, I've been totally doing it wrong. (laughs) Like I've been setting limits. I'm like, I can hold your big feelings, but only to a point. And I thought I was doing a really good job. Like I can hold them to a really long point and -hmm. then I
1: can't hold them anymore. (laughs)
0: And that's not the message I really want to be conveying.
1: Yeah. And again, there is that nuance there, right? Of like, your emotions are totally valid. I'm not scared of them. And there's a safe and unsafe way to express them, yeah. right? I'm here to be a safe place for you to express them. I'm here to help you express them safely. But also, again, as a parent, being able to draw that line of, and now we've crossed into an unsafe expression of a mm. valid emotion. Yeah.
0: Right? Oh my gosh, the nuance. <laughs> I know. <laughs> can you, I mean, I feel like the nuance, because every time I feel like I have like a new skill or a new trick, I'm like, I'm going to, I can't wait to test this one out. And then I'm going to test it. And I'm like, Oh wait, but like, I feel like I need like a part one, a to this step. <laughs> like, what's the thing that you do with this, you know, little specific nuance to it. So yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. What are some therapist tips on how we can reduce stigma around mental health and help teenage boys to feel more comfortable talking about their struggles And seeking help because what I'm seeing already at age 10 is boys who really, really internalize and then carry shame and um, like a shame is like the primary one, but like internalize a hard feeling or a hard situation and then try to carry it all on their own in isolation, which is just so much for a little person to carry. Um, and same for a teenager who would not want to be referred to as a little person, but like totally. for a teen as well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, this is a interesting thing because this is also a lot of the conversation that I'm seeing uh, with young adult men is this idea that nobody cares. Nobody mm. cares about boys' feelings. Nobody cares about men's feelings. You know, and again, I don't know, like every family is different. Every sibling dynamic is different, but, you know, sometimes, again, from maybe a young age, if the message being told to boys is, oh, my God, thank goodness, you're the easy one. Oh, your sister, right? Mm -hmm. She's taking up so much space. Oh, thank God, you're so low maintenance, which again, then kind of perpetuates that my job in this family is to keep everything inside. So I don't take up too much space, which then, you know, as you get older, it sometimes becomes that what is even the point, nobody's going to care, even if I do express it. Because, you know, maybe I've been told for a long time that my value was in my ability to not talk about my emotions and to solve them on my own. And again, that's that very, you know, stoic idea, which is, again, a a misnomer, right? Stoicism is about self-mastery, not self-repression. But, you know, again, this is where adult men, fathers, mentors, uncles, coaches, being able to say like, hey, no, no we can talk about emotions. That doesn't not make us men. Our job in this world is not to be just, you know, take it, take it, take it and, you know, solve everything for everybody without getting cared for ourselves. That's not what we do.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. I feel like I'm connected to so many women who I think are really invested in this kind of work. And you make such a great point around they are going to watch how the same gender parent is Mm -hmm. doing all of this. And so you might have a mom who is like really great at processing feelings and wants to hold all the space and all that. But it sounds like you're saying that it's really critical that the Mm -hmm. father or
1: father figure is doing the same thing. Absolutely. And it's beneficial for both because one of the things I write about, and, you know, it's I mean, it's a whole thing right now. There's a lot of um, conversation around it is the rise in male loneliness in older yeah. men, which, again, contributes to lots of mental health issues. It also contributes to physical health issues. There's been really a lot of research around this, that loneliness is bad for your health. Mm-hmm. But the core of maintaining a relationship is the ability to have Emotional conversations, right? It's not only emotional conversations, but the ability to get below a surface level where it's not just, hey, how was the game? Cool. All right. Well, you got homework? Yeah. All right. Because that will not last outside of the home right and that could go for any parent but especially for boys and their fathers i hear this so often with adult men that i work with where they're like oh my mom she was the nurturer she was the emotional safe place she was the person that gave me unconditional love or my grandma what was your relationship like with your dad or your grandfather yeah you know he was one of those silent types he was -hmm. really uncomfortable around emotion you know i could go to him for logistical questions i could go to him for you know hey how do i you know, fill out a resume or my car is making a funny noise, but I didn't feel like I could go to him with anything vulnerable because it made him so uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. So I would just bring it to my mom, which then later on in life, again, if, if, you know, um, I see this when, you know, older couples, if, you know, the wife dies or if there's a divorce, sometimes then the man doesn't just lose, you know, the connection with his partner or his spouse, he loses connection with all of the children because they don't have a, that relationship with him any deeper than, you know, he's the guy that we ask advice from, which is cool. And again, but we don't really talk to him about the deeper stuff, which does a disservice on both sides. Yeah. And again, there are fantastic fathers out there who are able to maintain soup, you know, deep, emotional, loving, like all of that. But I think this still, again, kind of goes to that trope of the role of a man and the role of a woman in a relationship.
0: Yeah, like the limitations around those Mm. tropes that you really have to conscientiously break. It's really, really interesting. And there's a big, to make the choice to do that is a different sense of responsibility and accountability in parenting that if you haven't seen it modeled, that's a tricky thing to do. Exactly.
2: Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the
0: I want to talk about suicide, and so little trigger warning for people. If that's too much for right now for you today, then feel free to pause this episode and come back when it feels better. But I want to talk about the suicide rate among teenage boys and men at large, and a little bit about what it is, like where we're at with that, and why, and then how can we combat that. And now I'm getting into multi-part question. But also, are there things we should be looking for at a young age? as precursors.
1: Yeah. So again, yeah, the rate of male suicide is staggering, really. I mean, it's a huge, huge issue. And one of the things that makes it a really big issue compared to women is that men often have access to more lethal means, they tend to use more lethal means, which contributes to a a higher rate of completion. And again, just going back to loneliness is one of the biggest factors that affects mental health, because it can lead to increased substance use, it can lead to health issues, and all of that. So chronic pain is one of the indicators of a risk factor for suicide. Um, same thing is feeling disconnected, feeling hopeless, feeling purposeless. There are so many things that affect in a way, right? In a affect the male psyche differently than sometimes the female psyche, right? So one of the things that we see is, for example, job loss. If a man's identity is attached to his job, and so the same thing for a young boy, right? Again, if he's been told for a lot of his life that you know your worth is in your performance, If at some point he starts to feel disconnected from being a success and starts feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure, that can lead to a real sense of hopelessness, purposelessness, which can be contributing to a risk factor for suicide. It can lead to substance use, alcohol use, all of that. And bullying is another thing, right? Boys who don't often, bullying between boys, I mean, between all kids is a problem. But one of the things between boys is that it tends to focus on identity. Mm-hmm. And that again is one of the things that is a big risk factor for suicidal ideation and kids is feeling like, you know, I don't have any friends, nobody likes me. I'm the person that everybody looks at and says that kid's a loser. And what is even my point? I appreciate you bringing up bullying.
0: I think that piece is really important. And an observation that I've made again with younger boys, not quite to the teenage years yet, but it sounds like you're saying like being bullied would lead to, you know, this sense of potentially disconnected and hopelessness and which absolutely makes sense. But some of the things I've also noticed is the children who are doing the bullying often are children who I think maybe are high performers in some ways, but also maybe carry the most insecurity of anyone on the playground. And I'm curious your thoughts on that.
1: Absolutely. And this is, again, where it is a systemic problem, right? Happy kids don't hurt other kids, Mm. right? And so I think that's also the difficult thing. I mean, on a broader, broader scale, right? Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And so, yeah, it really, bullying is a symptom of a deeper problem. That makes so much sense. I'm
0: like taking notes about that hurt people, hurt people is something I've heard, you know, definitely amongst adults, but happy kids don't hurt other kids kids. is yeah. yeah, That's a real interesting, that's a light bulb. Like that's an aha. I appreciate that. How can we look for signs in our kids for depression, mental health struggles? I think that sometimes it's really obvious, you know, if they're like in a highly emotional state, like we know that they're struggling, but I also think that sometimes there's an, in- and I'm, I'm guessing because you know, we're only at 10, but I'm guessing there's mm-hmm. a lot of, especially as kids get older, when there's less connection to parents, just naturally mm-hmm. as kids start to separate, then what should we be looking out for around depression and mental health disorders where things might not be as obvious that a kid is struggling?
1: Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, depression, anxiety looks different in everybody, but I think that's also something to maybe if you're not aware of this, is that depression and anxiety are two sides of the same coin. If yeah. there's one, there's often the other, right? Mm-hmm. And so if your child, you're just like, oh, they're just so anxious. It's like, well, they're probably also experiencing depression. Maybe you're not aware of that, but that's something as a parent to be aware of that these two things come together, right? So if your child is talking about being depressed, they probably also struggling with anxiety. So yeah. looking out for those signs of that, Also, you know, one of the risk factors or one of the things that tends to contribute to a higher rate of suicidal ideation is when a relationship ends or when there is persistent social isolation. Mm -hmm. So again, kind of going back to the importance of healthy community, feeling connected, feeling like people like you, people want you around. So that is something to look out for. So social isolation or withdrawal or the loss of a significant relationship, if they express to you that, you know, they don't, they're not interested in the things that they used to be interested in, you notice them kind of withdrawing from things that used to bring them joy or, or they experience a traumatic event. I mean, this is something again, where I think it's not, there's this idea like kids are so resilient, right? But if a child has experienced any kind of, so the ACEs study, if you don't, yeah, any kind of adverse childhood event or if they've lost a grandparent or a pet or they've lost a best friend. Grief is also something to be really cognizant of as a parent. Kids are resilient, but they can also experience trauma.
0: Would it be appropriate to add in there like the loss of an opportunity? So I'm thinking like specifically like when, you know, older kids, they might like might not make the team and all their friends are over there and now they're potentially done with this athletic career. I'm thinking specifically out of a situation with a high school girl and um, like not moving on to to be part of her basketball team in her junior year and having to be really just be done with basketball at the end of her sophomore year, but everyone else was moving on. All of her teammates were moving on to continue playing. I'm wondering if that loss would fit into that kind of the same category. Absolutely,
1: yeah. Cause that's the loss of multiple relationships, right? It's also grieving the loss of her identity as the basketball player. Right. And so those are, again, things that, you know, as a parent, sometimes you might be like, it's, it's okay, like, you're going to move on to the next thing. And, you know, um, everything's going to be good. But really recognizing that as a child, like that might be the most impactful thing that they've experienced in their entire life. Mm -hmm. Right. Suddenly, they're having to find themselves outside of the context that they've grown so comfortable in. Suddenly, they don't know who they are. They don't know where their tribe is. Very, very important to pay attention to those kinds of transitions as a parent. That makes
0: a lot of sense. How can we proactively help our boys of the next generation be better prepared to talk about mental health relationships and emotional issues in a healthy way? And this feels like such a big and overwhelming task when I'm looking at like our current generation of dads and like it's, this is a
1: lot to shoulder. (laughs) Um, so, so what are your recommendations? Well, honestly, this is something where I'm like really excited about this. Because oh, good, good, good. There are a lot of healthy models of masculinity out there. And, you know, just to name a few, there's um, obviously Prince Harry has been talking about his mental health issues. Michael Phelps talks about his mental health issues. Kevin Love, the NBA player, talks about it. Ryan Reynolds, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Justin Baldoni from Jane the Virgin he actually wrote a book called Boys Will Be Human. And it really just talks about that, like, hey, you can be a human, a full human as a boy, and you can grow up to be an amazing man. And so then he also wrote a book called Man Enough um, for the adult man. But again, just like finding these resources out there of male mentors, who these You know, especially the young up-and-coming, you know, generation, if they're on online all the time, getting some of that balance in the messaging around what it means to be a man is going to be the most important thing in shifting away from this kind of old restrictive model of masculinity towards a more expansive, honoring your whole humanhood. Really, again, I I mean, this is why also I named my book Strong because I'm like. Being strong as a man is not just being physically strong. It's also being emotionally strong. It's also being relationally strong. And having the skills to do that is really that next frontier. And there are a lot of men that are taking the lead on starting this conversation, which again, I think would be so cool if dads, you know, listen to these podcasts with their sons, you know, just having that become normalized as part of a conversation, which again, like as women, as moms, is might be like, well, it's not like, we're not part of that space, but that's okay. Like letting the boys and men have that connection around a healthier model of masculinity.
0: I love that. I actually, this whole conversation have been thinking, I'm going to take this raw recording and email it to my husband when right when we're done. Because I think these are the things, I think so many male father's father figures want to do all this, but they're like, how? like what's the first step? You know, like it's not like because they don't want to do any of it. It's just because totally. if you haven't seen it modeled, it makes it much harder. Mm-hmm. I love the examples that you just gave of, you know, specific people who are modeling this in different mm-hmm. ways. I think that's really important. And I'm also being thoughtful around how when someone is publicly, you know, the rock is a great example. My son thinks Mm -hmm. the rock is fantastic that Uh if he's talking about something around mental health, for me to point that out to my child and be like, look at this, look at how he's talking about this. This is so important and taking advantage of those moments to point those things out and really highlight and amplify them as a part of parenting, I think is significant. Mm -hmm. Also, I'm going to go immediately buy this book and put it on my (laughs) husband's (laughs) nightstand
1: well that, that's kind of the thing right is that right you can't take someone where you haven't been and I hear this a lot from men they're like I yes I want to do this for my kid I want to be the best parent ever I don't want my son to have the same experience with me that I had maybe with my father or my grandfather but where do I even start right, right? and so that's why I'm like okay here's some skills yeah. Talking points, scripts. There's language in this book that you can then use to not only improve your marriage, but also improve your relationship with your children. Cause at the end of the day, like that's your legacy, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Your, so
0: your book is called Strong, a relationship yes. field guide for the modern man. I have, I'm not sure I've ever taken so many notes in a conversation. <laughs> I've taken so <laughs> many notes today. Um, this has been incredibly, incredibly valuable. And what I want our listeners to do is, you know, mostly we have moms listening. So of course, this is all really important for moms. And also (laughs) I want people to share this conversation with the shameless dads out there. Get the book. If moms want to read the book, great, but please pass it along to dads as well. Because I think this piece is, all of this is just so critically important. I'm I'm so, so grateful, Crystal. Can you share where people can find you, connect with you, get the book, work with you further and all the good stuff?
1: Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram, ATX Therapist. It's the same handle on Twitter and on threads as well. And then on Facebook, you can follow me at ATX. And then my website is just strong.love.
0: Okay, perfect. We have all that linked up. And then we'll also link to the
1: book. Yes, Um, it's on Amazon. It's also on Audible, because you know, not everybody is Perfect. Good with the paperback. Yes, no, I 100. Uh, my husband was like, "Oh, cool! It's on Audible. Great." <laughs> oh, I, it's so funny. Whenever I interview people,
0: I'm like, "Please tell me the book's also on Audible." Because yeah, I have great intentions of reading the 30 books on my mm-hmm. nightstand, but I'm way more likely if they're sitting in my Audible or wherever people are downloading audio exactly. uh, getting audiobooks. Exactly. Oh my gosh, this has been fantastic. So, Crystal, we're going to end with our final question. I'm excited to hear what you have to say because you've already given us so much gold today. So how are you currently showing up as a shameless mom slash stepmom?
1: So my stepdaughter has just turned 18 and graduated high school. So this is the next frontier of figuring out how to interact and engage with her in a slightly different way. So this is where I'm kind of hitting that phase of momhood as a little bit more side by side. Yeah. Um, So that is where I'm at with that. I love it. I'm so proud of her. She's so amazing. She's yeah, she's awesome.
0: Or my social media feeds have been full of people's kids graduating from high school this year, Mm -hmm. um, which happens like every spring. And I get really mad because I'm like, this, my kid is not allowed to ever do that. Like he's going to, to stay 10 forever. And then every year I'm mad because he actually does get a year older. So I love your perspective that you're like excited about this new relationship and the evolution of it, because I am, I have so much dread around that loss. Yes. No.
1: And, and that's, yeah. And I hear that. And also it's like, how exciting is it to experience your child as their own person, yeah. as an adult in the world? Yeah, um, It's going to be cool.
0: I love it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Crystal, thank you so much for being here. This has been an Absolutely. incredible conversation and just so, so critically important. Um, I'm so grateful for you and the work that you're doing. And I'm really excited for a lot of our shameless parents to go out and get the book and just continue to dig into this so that we can create a generation of emotionally healthy boys, men who talk about mental health. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Well, thank you so thank much you. for having me. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you.